Good morning. My name is uh, John Duby, and I will be reading today's text, which is John 10, verses 21 through 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Thank you, John. Excellent job. Although you saw John, right? I'm not going to tell him he didn't do a good job. Capable, very capable of hurting me. But he did do a great job. That song that we just sang is, uh, I think, a fitting introduction to our time in the, in the passage of scripture that John just read for us because, uh, Jesus is the unique Savior, and there is no one like him. And, and so the more that we play out this image that is given to us in John 10 of Jesus being a good shepherd, I think it's our opportunity to connect with a deeper and better understanding of how Jesus uh, shepherds his flock, saves his people, and that the relationship that we have between the, the one and only Son of God is unique from every other relationship, or even lack thereof, that other religions would say they experience with their quote-unquote God. There is no one like him. And I loved in the bridge of that song, there was an admission there. It sounded more like a, a statement of commitment. You know, it says all we have, all we need, all we want is you. And if you're like me, as I sing those kinds of words, I'm like, Lord, get me to the place where I truly believe all you are is all I need. Because I can think of 10 replacements I gave myself over to this week. Where Jesus was the, the elevated and supreme and the, the, the be all end all of everything I needed, but instead I accepted so many lesser versions of Him. Instead of seeking out the one true God, instead of seeking out the relationship that's being offered to me, there is no one like Him. He is the God that condescended. He is the one that came to us. That's the theology of the incarnation is that God came to man because we couldn't reach him. And he he dressed in the flesh that you and I live in. He kicked up the same dust that you and I kick. He breathed the same air and he died a death like you and I all will die. Jesus came near and he moves closer to us. So when we see this image of a shepherd and we start to understand, if you're like me, you don't have a lot of sheep experience, just you guys. And you're real easy to take care of. Not a, not a lot of messes going on there and stuff. And so I don't know how it goes with, with real sheep. So I have to watch YouTube videos and listen to Pastor Tom's sermon last week and learn a few things like, oh, that's what sheep and shepherds do and that's how they behave. 
And I think the more that we play out this metaphor, the more we dwell on it in our Christian walk, we start to appreciate the saving that we actually have, the God that actually lives and walks with us. And so I think that's the important thing that you and I should uh, focus on this morning is that all of the things that we go for, all the things that we chase down, all the things that we settle for, if they're not Jesus, they're, they're poor imitations, they're false security. But all that we have, all that we really want, and all that we really need is in Jesus. Let me say it to you this way. The only security you'll ever have is through intimacy with close personal relationship with the shepherd of your soul. Everything else outside of an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is a poor substitute and eventually lets us down. And that's what I hope for us to see as we go through that passage again that John read for us earlier. So to set the stage, to figure out where we are and, and uh, to move the, the ball forward a little bit, let's go back to John chapter 10 and jump into verse 22 to see that this is the, at, at this time is the feast of dedication in Jerusalem. It's winter, so Jesus is walking in the temple, but in the covering, in the colonnade, out of the elements and things, and he's moving about. A couple of months have happened from this time since the um, last instruction we got about the sheep and the shepherd metaphor that Pastor Tom brought us through last week. Now, it doesn't say this in the text, but a couple of months have happened. Now we have winter, and Jesus is again going to revisit this imagery because he's keyed in on it for a great reason. The people's mindset are on their feast or on their celebration. And the feast of dedication isn't something that the Lord instituted. You know, with all the other feasts and festivals, he said, I want you to do this to commemorate this. This came up as as a result of historic event. The Jews would remember some couple hundred years, just under a couple hundred years prior to Jesus' arrival. They would remember Syria coming in. And desecrating the temple of God under the leadership of Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, don't name any of your children those names. Hard to pronounce. But uh, Antiochus Epiphanes was one who said, I'm going to move in. We're going to take over. We're going to tell them we're going to blend. Don't worry. We're going to blend your cultures. We're going to bring some Greek in and have some Hebrew and everything. But really what he ended up doing was was completely obliterating all of the sacred things that the Jews held dear and he and he desecrated the temple and he introduced the foods that they weren't supposed to eat if they were going to honor their God. And then he he turns uh, wings of the temple into a brothel. He takes a statue of Zeus and puts it right on the altar of sacrifice. He's not trying to play nice. He's not mixing the cultures just to see how they get along. He's taking over. They didn't anticipate what this would mean is that there would be an uprising in Judas uh, Maccabeus. If you remember hearing about the Maccabees and it's some some of the um, historical writings and things. But Judas Maccabeus rises up, leads a revolt, clears the temple, rededicates the temple and says, we're taking this back for the cause of the Lord. And then he instituted an eight day celebration on December 25th, a celebration that the Jews still celebrate today, as you would know, is called Hanukkah. And this is what's going on at the Feast of Dedication, is the early days of Hanukkah. 
a reclaiming of the temple, a, a celebration of we took it back for God. And you think about sort of the irony of this is that as they're, as they're celebrating the fact that God has restored their temple, here the very temple of God is before them and he's saying, I'm the living water, I'm the bread of life, I'm everything that you need. And they, uh, the leadership, those that should have been looking for this and welcoming this are saying, that's not the temple that we fought for. Some upstart phony Messiah is not what we're celebrating here. So instead, they gather around him. We go to verse 24 to catch him in a soundbite. See, the paparazzi were around for a long, long time. They said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Really, what they're saying is say it on public record. Say it for everybody. We want you to finally say it very clearly, but mostly very publicly. Jesus answers him, well, I've already told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. He has already said in so many different ways and with so many different actions what they want him to say. He's already said statements to them like my father and I are working or the father has sent me. He already told them, you should be listening to Moses if you claim to be a disciple of his, because Moses already wrote of me. And as we said, he gets very specific and says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am that I am before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews knew this was how God identified himself to Moses at the burning bush. I don't need to say I was the God who was or I'll eventually become. I am currently all the time God supreme in charge and in control. And here Jesus is using that exact same name. He's done it before. He's been on public record. They've revolted against him. They've, they've, they've been very upset with him in the past. So they're up to something. So they can catch him in the act again. What's going on here is we keep seeing the Jewish leaders do this to Jesus, trying to trap him. It's not because they were bored and they just needed sport in their life, but they were under attack. They had put their trust in authority and human effort to provide them. Now hear this, to provide them the security that they deeply craved. Don't get me wrong. They were wrong. And the things that they were doing and saying should be offensive to us. They're treating our Lord in such a manner. But at the same time, they're being driven by all the same motivation that you and I are tempted to be driven by. What was going on in the blackness of their heart is the same thing that Jesus had to rescue us from in our lives. I often wonder how much we would be a little bit calmer in society or how we'd get along with people just a little bit more if we didn't see all the things that they did as a direct offense to us, but have a little bit more pity in the fact that it's sad that they have to give in to this false security and do this thing that is offending me or stealing from me or, or uh, trying to alter my life. Those things are wrong and we don't just become pacifists because of it, but they're not always doing it in a way to just attack us, but they are acting out of their own insecurities and their false gods as well. 
We pursue intimacy with our desires, but we often give, our, give ourselves over to these illusions or shadows of our deepest craving. All of that is to say, we really want, like we sang in the song, all we want is something more substantive. All we want is for something that doesn't fade away. All we want is for something that's guaranteed and will last. But we keep looking to other things to provide it that leave us wanting. All we want is guidance. All we want is protection. We want provision. We want all of these things. And the secret is, is that God wants those things for us too. But we've peddled that in all kinds of weird ways and destructive ways. We've found it in all sorts of sinful and harmful ways. And then to make matters worse, you have people that are claiming to be God's shepherds coming and saying, oh, we can give you that same tantalizing impact, but we can do it with with things that appear to be godly because God wants you to have the best of everything. What we want in our lives is guidance, protection, and provision. And that's what the shepherd of our souls wants for us as well. And in John chapter 10, he's been telling us how he goes about it and what the benefits are for his sheep. So let's pay attention just a little bit more as we go through this chapter. Let's pick up in verse 27 to see, this is what Jesus says about his sheep because he says that security comes through a recognizable voice. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I needed to look up because, again, I don't have any sheep experience. And uh, I, I needed to look up some videos to see how this played out. Pastor Tom had told us last week that a shepherd can call out in his way. And the sheep, even if they're mixed and scattered amongst other flocks, they will separate themselves and kind of find their way and follow the shepherd that's calling them. And I'm, I, I know I've heard this before, but I'm like, i got to see it in action. And not knowing any local shepherds that I can just text and say, hey, can I see how you do this? I went to YouTube. And I saw these people on vacation, like over in Ireland and stuff, and it was part of their experience where they were like, hey, we heard that they will only respond to your voice and not ours. Can we try it? And so the, the shepherd was trying to teach them, this is how I call them. These are the things I say. This was kind of the inflection of my voice and everything. And just trying to see how close those tourists could get to call those sheep. And with their best impressions, the sheep just keep eating, 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 could care less. They're not even like, oh, that's a weird voice. Don't No, they're just focused. They're dialed in. This is good. This is good. This is good. Then their shepherd, after watching them all struggle for five, ten minutes or so, calls out with his simple call, and they all, their ears, their heads just pick right up. And they just go, something else is going on. Let's go follow him. And it's incredible. And you could see the reaction of the people who, they just weren't sure what to expect. And it was such an emotional experience for them because a lot of this was in the context of trying to understand Jesus even more. And as they saw that playing out, the personal emotion that happened, that, how, you know, you could almost imagine there's inventory being taken. If Jesus calls out to me, am I responding that quickly? When he speaks, does my head perk up like that? And the sheep just started finding their way over to their shepherd. A true shepherd puts the time in. A a true shepherd works with his sheep in order for the sheep to recognize his voice. And we have that same promise. We have that same experience. John's been telling us that Jesus is the word of God. He is the, the literal, physical, verbal expression of who God is. And so the word of God, the voice of God came to us in the person of Jesus. 
And as his time on earth was starting to wrap up and he's preparing his disciples to have further guidance, he says, don't worry because it's better that I go. When I go, a comforter will come. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and will be that voice on the inside. It says he will illumine the truth to us so that we will recognize it more. A true shepherd provides, he trains for uh, his sheep to recognize, to hear that intimate and recognizable voice. If you've ever been in a situation before where you are scared or quite lonely or you're in the dark as a young person or something like that, or as an adult, you can be afraid of the dark as an adult, no shame in that, and you hear a voice of someone familiar, there's something inside of us that just kind of says, maybe it's going to be okay. It matters. Jesus says, my sheep, hear my voice. True sheep, listen for their shepherd. Now, this is a quick drive-by. This is an easy guilting for me to throw in there, and pastors do it all the time, but I think it's so appropriate. If you and I are not digesting the word of God, we are not training our ears to hear his voice. We keep wanting God to speak to us in clear ways. God, tell me if I should take this job. Tell me if I should date this person. Tell me if I can get out of this marriage. Lord, uh, we ask the Lord for clear instruction on everything. And yet I find that most people that are asking and screaming for it, the lattice have the uh, have the least amount of knowledge of what's in this book. I don't believe that Jesus speaks independently of his completed word. I believe that the promptings we have from the Holy Spirit only echo the truth that has already been given to us in the word of God. God can give us specific nudges. He can move us in certain directions that are unique to our circumstances, but never in contradiction to the truth of his word. You and I are always better equipping ourselves, fine tuning our ears the more that we have this open and we are trying to saturate our hearts and our minds with the truth of the word of God. True sheep... Listen for their shepherd. Well, I didn't come because he didn't yell loud enough. Or I didn't come because I couldn't hear him over the sound of my own chewing. You know, we like to kind of blame Jesus for being a faulty shepherd for not getting our attention. But that isn't the way it works. As I saw it on display in those videos, I couldn't believe how how it looked like the sheep could care less about anybody calling him. They just could care less about anybody else calling them. All they wanted to hear from was from their shepherd. Secondly, I think Jesus would tell us that security comes through reliable provision. As you and I see that what he gives us is trustworthy, we start to have that greater sense of security and awareness that he is really a good shepherd. So this is what he says in verse 28. I give them everything they need. What it says is I give them eternal life. What do we want? We want protection from the things that threaten us the most. We want knowledge that we will be okay for all of eternity. He says, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. True life is what Jesus gives us. This is what we've said before is uh, the scripture, uh, the word for life is, is zoe, and it really speaks to a quality of life, not just, hey, don't worry, I'm going to give you a ticket that you'll be able to punch when you take your last breath, and then it will be good. Then life will kick in. He says, no, I'll give you that life, but I'm going to start it in you now. 
that you have eternal Zoe. You have a quality of life that is engaging in the moment and is opening you up to the new possibilities of walking in the spirit of God. It's a quality of life both now and forever, which is opposite to what the enemy of our souls gives us. We already saw earlier in the chapter in verses 10 and 11 that the thief, who is the enemy of our souls, comes only to what? Steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And Jesus directly ties that promise to the fact in verse 11 that he is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Why include that? Because we don't get eternal Zoe. We don't get eternal life without him laying his down for us. True life is what is given to us. True supply is what is provided to us more than the stuff we demand or the stuff that keeps us interested. Jesus isn't saying, hey, if you follow me, I'll make it worth your investment of time and you'll get uh, these little tickles along the way. This is the danger of the prosperity gospel that we've warned about for years and years in this church. That we are selling people short when we peddle a Jesus who will just give them what they determine they need for their own life. If, if you're feeling lonely or if you're feeling uh, broke or you're feeling any of those things, you come to Jesus and he'll give you that stuff if you crank up your faith dial right out through the charts. What we do is we rob people the experience of knowing a true shepherd who takes care of them, who leads them along, who gives them what is really the cry in the, in the, in the requirement of their souls. It's more than the stuff we demand. This is how Peter says it in second Peter one. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I wanted us to see beyond just the a more immediately quotable part of that verse. Most of us could probably say, oh yeah, his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And we kind of stop the phrase there. But if we tie it to the end of verse four, it says that we've escaped from the corruption that is in the world. And that's in the world because of sinful desire. Jesus gives us the ability by moving into our lives, gives us the ability to stop digging deeper holes when we've already started digging them. He comes in and says, now you've made a mess of this. I'm going to give you the tools and the resources by the presence of my spirit to not dig any deeper. Or as my friends uh, will often tell me, I'm, I, I come in contact with a couple here and asking them how life's going and everything. They'll know who they are when I use their quote, but I just love it. Now I'll say how are things of life going and everything, and they'll say it's going great because we're not trying to burn it down anymore. They're, they're recognizing the difference of their life without Jesus, and now their life with Jesus. They're not tempted. They're not faced with the the same old things of making their situation worse because now He's given them an escape. So much of what we want from the Lord is this bigger and better, and He says, "I've given you the ability to not make it worse." And he does have bigger and better for us, but it's so contrary to how we often define it. 
There isn't a better passage of scripture. It's probably not the right way to say it. It's like pitting scripture against scripture here. Well, let me put it this way. There's probably not a more popular passage of scripture for us to refer to this idea of the relationship between the sheep and a shepherd than the one that is brought to us pastors all the time when we're preparing for a funeral. When we ask a family or um, friends or something, hey, are there some specific and special passages of scripture that you'd like included in the memorial service when we get together? What do they always tell us? Psalm 23. And, and they, they tell us that because, well, for probably a number of reasons, because it's one of the first that would come to the top of their head because they're more familiar with it. Also, because they know it's appropriate in terms of its poetry and language. It reads beautifully, so it fits in that setting really well. But I think it speaks to a deeper um, uh, piece that comes from quoting that psalm. I believe that Psalm 23 intimately speaks to our desire for security. And when do we need a reminder of that security more than when we are facing matters of death? You know the the psalm well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me, and you're probably going, it seems weird to not recite this with you. (laughs) Shouldn't we all be saying this together? I won't make you do it. He says, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Of course, it's an amazingly beautiful and poetic psalm. But I believe it contains all the elements that we deeply crave in our life and the things that 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 uh, cause us to find cheap substitutes. We want rest for our lives. And he says he he makes me lie down in green pastures. We want provision, and he says he leads me besides the still waters. And even in that phrase that he leads me, we find that he gives us direction, which we desperately crave. Protection, he said, if I, if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, even in the shadow of death. Why? Because of the companionship that we crave, because you are with me. Again, referring to my brilliant research in YouTube this week. Just trying to see some examples. Again, it's just out of my context, right? What is the psalmist talking about with these things? And I saw a man in the Holy Land explaining this phrase, makes me lie down in green pastures. And I thought, man, that's really amazing. He's looking over a very desolate set of hills and rocks and rough terrain, It's not what we would picture green pastures being lush and long uh, barley and all these things. And then a a distant pond and a tree that's kind of swaying. And this is what we picture that the good shepherd would lead us to those. But he says, farmers don't like their sheep going where they can farm. They want them kind of scratching their living off of the the things that aren't going to um, impact their farming capability. And he said, so what the shepherd will do is take them through these rocky terrains because, because, because of the moisture that blows through, every once in a while these grass seeds will just start sprouting up in behind the rocks. And so if you walk along the thing, you see there's one, there's one, there's one. He says, and the shepherd takes them and leads that sheep through quote-unquote green pastures. And as you're watching this unfold, you're thinking, he's only giving them what they need. It, it isn't this field that says, now there you go and you just lay there and you start munching away and I'll come back in a couple weeks and see how you're doing. 
The shepherd is always on duty to say, oh, there's one, there's one, there's one. And the sheep are just fixated on what's next, what's next, what's next, taking only what they need. God provides moment by moment grace. And this is what I run into the most. And this is what I suffer with the most, even in my own life, is I want tomorrow's grace today. I believe that God's going to take me through the difficulties of my life. I believe that he's going to hold me up. He's got the resources. I just want all the feeling of it's going to be okay. I want it today. But that escapes me. He's giving me the little bits of grass that I get along the path for today. And I can't seem to solve the tomorrow problem or the next week problem. And he says, that's why you follow me. I know where this path goes. I know that overnight as that that hot um, air is coming through, that even more grass will spring up by the next morning. You follow me and I'll take you to what you need. And I say, yeah, but can't you just point out the big lush field and tell me that's where I get to camp out for a couple weeks? But then where would our dependence on him be? The difference between worry and concern is that we're we're worried about the things that we should be concerned about on the wrong day. We are all to be, there's plenty of things that should concern us in life today, are there not? Danny already referred to the watching the news and that sort of thing and reminding ourselves this world is not our home. There's plenty for us to be concerned about, but what we do is we start thinking about tomorrow, next week, next month, 10 years from now, and we start to worry. And Jesus says, "That's, that's my job. I'm the shepherd. I take you down those paths. Peace only comes to those who trust that Jesus knows what's best for their life more than they do. Until you and I finally surrender, Lord, you know what I need more than I do. Then until we do that, we will be always looking for peace. We will always be agitated. Augustine says our hearts are restless until they rest in the Lord. Jesus brings security with reliable provision. But he's carrying, the psalmist says that your rod and staff comfort me in verse 23. I mean, in verse four, your rod and staff comfort me, which tells me that security comes through comforting correction. Jesus, because he is a good shepherd, he has both of those tools, both of those things. But you and I have a tendency sometimes to mix up which one he's using on us at any given point in time. The rod that that the shepherd has is more like a blunt instrument. It's a shorter kind of stick with a a ball or something kind of naughty or knobby on the end so that they can beat away the predators or knock things out of the way that that don't belong in the path. But it's used as a, a blunt instrument. It's very hard to use, very harsh in terms of its result. But the staff is the classic one you picture, the long skinny stick with the hook on it. We say by hook or by crook or something there, that's used to, 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 to lead the sheep or to pull them out of a thick patch. That that, that hook is useful for lifting them out of that trouble that they're in. And until we start to trust that Jesus uses the right instrument on us in our lives, We'll start to get all of this kind of mixed up and we'll start to trust him less. And that intimacy that we have or that security that we have becomes more and more distant. And we start to say things like, I just don't know if I'm in uh, uh, salvation anymore with Jesus. Or I just don't know if he loves me anymore like he used to. Where does that language come from? 
It comes from misunderstanding the difference between a rod and a staff. There is a difference between punishment and correction. And Jesus only uses correction for his sheep. Please hear me say this. Jesus does not need to punish us anymore. You think, well, that seems weird. I don't get it right all the time. Or I know that person gets it wrong all the time. Are you sure he doesn't punish? He corrects. He no longer punishes. Because true punishment was already paid. Romans 3, and beginning in verse 23 to 26, is a really important passage for understanding this. I went to um, a, a paraphrase or a... Um, yeah, a paraphrase called the message. Some of you have read the message. It reads more like a commentary. It tries to make the language really accessible. This isn't your study Bible. This isn't where you're going to get all your nuggets of deep truth from the message. So take it for what it's worth. But I wanted to read this Romans 3 passage from this because I think it says what we need to hear this morning. This is what Paul wrote. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. Finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. True punishment was already paid. God the Father said, I will put all, pour all of my wrath and my anger about the sin that all these people have committed for all this length of history. I will put it all on the cross on my son, Jesus Christ. And because he was perfect and he paid that for us, he alleviated... Where what the scriptures would say, he is the propitiation for our sins. He's the one that cooled the wrath of God down on us because he allowed it to, to be aimed at him. Now, he did all of that, and we still think that when we're being corrected with a staff, that we're being punished by a God who's angry at us. So just imagine, how do you think Jesus really responds when you fail? I'd have you raise your hand if you failed this week, but then every hand would go up if you're being honest. How do you think Jesus really responds? Now, I know how we act. There's there's all these varying degrees. Some people don't seem to notice it. They don't seem to feel bad about it or anything. And the Holy Spirit's got to really work and start start getting more uh, uh, more volume in their heart to, in order to convict them. But for a lot of people, we start beating ourselves up and we don't move forward because there's no way God would love me anymore. And if I was really his kid, he'd start, you know, I'd start caring about this and I'd act this way and everything. How do you think Jesus really responds when you fail? Let me give you an example. Because we've been for 10 chapters now in, in the book of John studying the example of how Jesus acts and what he cares about and how he demonstrates what he cares about. So I want to go to just real quickly in Matthew chapter 12. 
Jesus is dealing again with the healing on the Sabbath, and they're saying, you can't heal on the holy day, and you shouldn't be lifting a finger and everything. So that's the context that he's dealing with this. But hear the heart in this. He said to those naysayers, he says, which one of you has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? And how much more value is a man than a sheep? I, I, I was really kind of stirred up and moved last week in a part of Pastor Tom's message when he said that, that, that phrase where Jesus is basically, he's, he's laying across the opening of the gate. He says, I am the doorway. You come in and out and find pasture through me. And Pastor Tom said, imagine a checkpoint. It's like as the sheep is coming up, the staff goes down. He says, give, just wait here a second. Let me look you over. See how the day went for you. See if you've got uh, things uh, stuck in your fur or whether or not you're, you're, you're a little weak looking because you didn't get enough food today or whether or not you, you took on some, some hits from the enemy or you scratched up or you bloody or anything. And I got this image as he's explaining this, just like this is what Jesus does for each and every one of us. He takes us in and he looks at us and says, man, the world was rough on you today, wasn't it? I know exactly what I'm going to do for you tomorrow. I know where I'm going to lead you. I know what I want you to feed on. I know how you're going to bounce back from this. And don't worry, you're not going to have to face that enemy all the time. This this is coming to an end at some point. And you won't have to ever look over your shoulder. You won't have to ever get the bangs of life. You won't ever have to get the threats of the enemy anymore. We start to experience Jesus as being our tender-hearted, compassionate shepherd. And we see that he doesn't do things in our life to punish us, but to set us straight, to move us down the right path. And the psalmist even says that at the end of Psalm 23, he has this weird kind of thing. He jumps off of the sheep and shepherd thing and he says, he prepares a table for me, a bountiful feast in the presence of my enemies. What kind of peace would you have to be living in to be able to sit before your enemies and start eating a feast, even though you knew just moments ago they were trying to kill you? And the psalmist is saying that he's such a good shepherd. He's such a good protector. He sets me straight that, that the peace that comes from his correction, I can actually rest in and live in. Going back to John 10, let's finish our section here. He says, I give them eternal life and they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. What colorful language that snatch is a, is an active grab. It's an, it's an attack. And he says, no one's able to, to reach and grab you out of the father's grip. If you've walked with little kids and you know you're walking in some precarious areas and they always want to wiggle and go free and everything. And there's just times where you squeeze a little bit harder and you think, I'm not letting this child have its way right now. It's not safe for them to remove themselves from my grip. And Jesus is saying that he always has that mindset for you and for me. That the, the kid's never able to wiggle free. And I want us to really think about this because we often say, okay, nobody can take me from the father's grip, but I bet I'm strong enough to. I messed up. I blew it. My sin's unforgivable. He's done with me. He's dropped me. He just let go and said, well, I thought we were walking together here, but I guess not. 
Jesus says no one's strong enough to remove you from his grip, including you. Because why? Because my dad is the strongest. He's the greatest. He's above them all. Not like those other jokers that we talked about in verses 12 and 13 that are the hired hands that as soon as the the heat turns up, they start running the other way. They're like, hey, I didn't sign up for all this wolf business. I just wanted a quick sheeping gig. But now that it's turned into how do we protect them? How do we feed them? How do we nurture them? I'm not into all that. Jesus says, these guys that are giving me a hard time following me around, they're just hired hands. They're in it for some elevated status or something they get out of it, but they're not in it for you. They're not taking care of you. Intimacy with the shepherd of our souls is a, is a double-edged sword. Sometimes it's, it's our greatest fear because he moves in close. Those of you that you, you, you'll know that as you're going along in this Christian life and you're growing, the more you see your own flaws and your own, you're not as blind to your own shortcomings. And, and if you're practicing living in the gospel, it only grows your worship because you're like, wow, he saved me from so much. And I've been doing this for so long, I should know better. And I still, it can be our greatest fear, but it also is our greatest desire. Being known by the God of the universe, whether we admit it or not, is our greatest desire. It's our greatest consequence because he, he threatens to remove the old us to get it out of the way. But it's also our greatest blessing because as we walk in him, we're free. It's our greatest threat. It's a threat to the old way of life. It's a threat to all the false gods that we've put our security and trust into. But it's also our greatest safety. What would I encourage you to do as a result of spending some time in John chapter 10? I would encourage you to take some inventory of the great care the shepherd has shown you. Do you understand, like, does this happen to you too, that you're just so easily obsessed with the things that aren't going well in your life or the ways that the world has shortchanged you or the way that this person hasn't come through? We just rehearse the things that aren't going well. We take very little time to do what the old hymn writers would say, to count our blessings and name them one by one. To actually think about Jesus as a caring shepherd as he stops me at the check gate and looks me over. How many times has he done that in your life? How has he looked after the care of your soul? To start taking inventory of that because he has. Slow down and listen for that. Lord, remind me of all the ways you've looked after me. And then I would encourage you to start making that your proclamation to the people around you. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but with all that we've been through in the last 18 months or more, that people are ripe. They are listening for these things that meet the deeper need. They're looking for an assurance of truth or something stable out there. And they're looking to us as we have an opportunity to share that with them. What, how has the Lord gotten you through this? You claim to be religious or you go to church. So how's he really getting you through this? How are you able to still have that look on your face after all that has been threatened in you? And if you start to speak in a way that reflects on the gentle care of your shepherd, for one, it doesn't come across real cheesy and churchy. I think that's part of our fear with sharing our faith is we don't want to be the weirdo. But if we just start thinking about, well, all I can tell you is this is how he's taking care of me. And I know it's in his heart and his nature to do that for you too. And then lastly, I'd say, I would encourage you to seek to be his instrument or his staff of safety and encouragement for other sheep. 
Some of you might say, oh, no problem. I can be the correcting force, tell people where they're messing up and going wrong. But that isn't what we've seen in the Savior, is it? We've seen gentle, compassionate correction. Somebody who's invested in that life and walking in those trails with them. How are you reflecting the kind and compassionate shepherding of Jesus as he's shown it to you? How are you being that to some others? I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close, prepare our time to to sing some more, but I'm going to ask you to stand and we're just going to hear this benediction from Hebrews 13. The writer says, now may the God of peace who brought you, who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, this morning, God, we've given you our attention, we've given you our trust, and we thank you, Lord, for the washing of our souls and the comfort of our hearts that comes from knowing how you care for us. But Lord, we know because we're sheep that we've tested you and we've challenged you, we've found ways of wandering off the path to just exercise your your shepherding endurance, Lord, and we just ask for your forgiveness for not trusting you moment by moment for that next blade of grass, for that next nourishment, for that way that you look over the horizon to to protect us, Lord. We take you for granted is what we do. Thank you for the comfort that your staff brings us, Lord. Correct us as often as we need it, Lord, so that we can reflect your goodness and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.